Well, here we are. Christmas. Emmanuel. God with us. Always present. Always present. He has promised I have another Christmas story for you from last week's guest, writer and Dort College professor emeritus James Scott. Hey, a friend of mine pulled me aside the other week and said, Nate, I'm very much enjoying the podcast, but would you please stop making me cry? So, Julie, you'll want to skip this one. Hey, Merry Christmas and welcome to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Zet, all right, facts of life. Countless times I've watched Verona Worth dole out extra chicken strips to Mandy, her granddaughter, the only third grader in Greenwood School she wouldn't dare to touch. I've worked with her ever since she started in the lunchroom, and a hundred times I bet I've seen her dawdle over a cup of applesauce just to keep Mandy at the window an extra second. Sometimes she'll scrape beans off trays for 20 minutes on the chance the girl will give her only the slightest glance when she files by the tubs of dirty silverware. Every noon she stands a countertop away from that child and sees her own son's eyes, strong and bright and quick, blue as heaven. When she does, what she feels is written so deeply in the lines of her face that it doesn't take a gypsy to read it. Only another grandma. She loves that child. Even though Mandy doesn't know her from Martha S. Heiss or Sylvia Branson or any of the girls who work in the lunch lines with us. Mandy is my granddaughter too. My seventh out of 12 in all. She's the daughter of Mike Kelly and Verona's son, Jeff, who wouldn't marry Kelly, even though my daughter surely would have had him. But at school, the whole affair has never come up between us, even though Verona and I work side by side, baking chicken spoon and chocolate pudding into Charlie Brown pies and scrubbing out pots once the sixth grade is through the line come 1230. It happened at college like so much does. And the night Jeff and Kelly came to tell me and Ted Verona came with alone, like she's been ever since her husband died trucking a dozen years ago or more, killed down an interstate in Utah, I think, or maybe Nevada. My daughter was pregnant, we found out, but Ted and I jumped the gun ourselves way back in the golden days. So I've been through some of that hurt myself, even though it's a whole lot worse when it's your daughter, let me tell you, and when she doesn't have a husband. Now, I love Kelly, and I always have, but she's been a chore to bring up, headstrong as she was in the moment she wouldn't take a note. But the night those kids broke the news, it wasn't Kelly that scared me. It was Verona who sat with her legs crossed in a rocker beneath the clock and couldn't stop crying. She didn't bawl, really, just whimpered constantly, kept dabbing at her eyes so that whatever she said or tried to came out off key. She'd taken Jeff over to apologize to us because he'd already made it clear that he wasn't about to marry my daughter. Lord knows Verona tried to do everything right, tried with a passion, but she was so broken that night, all she could do was mumble. We never talked about Mandy on the job, even though what happened is eight years behind us. It never comes up because Verona is embarrassed about what her son did to Kelly. But that isn't all of it. She's embarrassed about that night, too, about 
how she couldn't do much at all but slobber when she tried to be the mother and the father Jeff never had. I feel the same way around the nurse that stood by me when my Tom was born. When that boy didn't want to come, I knew I made a horrible ruckus. If I see that nurse on the street, even today, I look away. She saw me in a state I'm not proud of, the way I saw Verona pinched in the rocking chair in perfectly helpless pain over her only child. Now, Jeff's gone on to be someone, but he's never married. If you ask me, he doesn't pay much attention to his mother. He lives in Virginia, and he works in Washington, D.C. He does something with numbers, financial, works for the government, Verona says. Mike Kelly took the next best thing once Jeff said no. When Mandy was a year old, Kelly married Reggie Ellenson, who stands first in line to inherit his father's masonry company. Reg never went to college. He's a fine man, but Kelly runs him, and she knew darn well she would. There's already two little boys, two little masons behind Mandy, the princess she had with Jeff. I'm not proud of saying this, but I pray more for my Kelly today than I did eight years ago, the night she told us she was going to have a baby. She's not finished growing up, even if she doesn't know it herself. She came over Tuesday, mad as ever, because Verona had sent Mandy a new dress for her birthday. Verona sent things anonymously for years. At Christmas, she writes Santa Claus on the tag. First, it was rattles and then stuffed animals. The last few years, it's been clothes, school clothes. I got to do something about it, Mom. You do, Kelly told me. She stood at the door and didn't even unbutton her jacket, left the car running on the driveway, the boys inside. It's driving me nuts, I swear it. Mandy's getting old enough to where I'm going to have to explain it, you know. Here's this big package, comes in the mail. She draws the lines with her arms. Boys don't get anything extra. Mandy's going to wonder, you know, she will. Well, what can I do, I said. Well, you know her. You talk to her every day at school. Tell her it's got to stop. It's for Mandy's own good, Mom. Like I say, I've seen Verona's long face whenever Mandy goes by with an empty tray. Ever since the girl's been in kindergarten, I've seen that. I've talked to Reg's lawyers, the business, you know, and they claim I can get a court order. My goodness, Kelly, I said, listen to me. They said I can get a court order that would keep her from contacting Mandy in any way. It's the law. Are you going to arrest her for sending a pair of socks? If I had to, Mandy said. Somewhere it's written, I think, that once they leave the nest, a mother's supposed to stop worrying. You think that's the way it's going to be, but it isn't. You want me to tell her, I said. I'm right about this, Mom. Maybe someday when Mandy's old enough, you know, when she can take the truth, but she, she's only eight years old. She ran her fingers through her hair like she always does, front to back, her father's thick, dark hair. She's beautiful, my prettiest daughter. I've never quite figured out where she came from. Such a beautiful girl at the end of the line. Mom, she says, please, I just can't Think of Christmas in another two weeks. Besides, she's getting so extravagant. This outfit must have cost her 40 bucks. What was it? I said. She rolled her eyes. What difference does it make? Really? I said, tell me about it. So she let out this long, grieved breath. 
A black cotton jumper with suspenders and a bright yellow tube belt. Sounds cute, I said. She even sent a pair of pantyhose and a turtleneck. I waited for her critique. Well, I said, I just won't have it anymore, she said. I don't care if it's cashmere. You've got to tell her. Why me, I said. Well, it's either you or the lawyer. Her father used to say that if Kelly got up ahead of steam, she could carry the Chicago Bears on her back and still get where she wants to go. In her entire life, the only thing she wanted but never got was Jeff Worth. On Mondays, we spread more peanut butter sandwiches than we normally do because sometimes kids don't get enough to eat over the weekend. Of everything we do in the kitchen, spreading sandwiches takes the most time. We go through more than a gallon of peanut butter every day. Verona and I sat there together for almost an hour while the others were out setting tables and setting the lines ready. It was almost 11 o'clock, time for the second grade. The vegetables were already up in the roasters, ready to serve. It's almost Christmas now. But we were talking about the March menus. Planning school meals isn't any different from doing the job at home. It's hard to come up with something new. And it's got to be likable, of course. The waste here is a sin, and you never quite get used to it. We could use a ton of apples, Verona told me. Sometimes government fruits come in thick during the winter, if there's a surplus. You never know if we'll get them for sure, I told her. You never know anything for sure, she said. Well, you got me there, I guess, I said. It was already the 14th. I knew that if I was ever going to say a thing, I had to now. So I didn't wait for something easy. I kept telling myself it was me or the lawyers. Kelly doesn't just shoot her mouth off about things like that. So I charged in right there in the middle of the menus. And maybe I shouldn't have. Like I said, we've never said a word about it before. Verona, I told her, Kelly says that jumper you sent for Mandy's birthday was just darling. You could feel the cold seep into the room as if someone had just opened a window to winter. I've been waiting to see it on her, I told her. She looks so cute in dark colors. Government peanut butter isn't the texture of Peter Pan. Sometimes toward the bottom of the can, it spreads in chunks and rips the bread. Verona, I said, I, I wish there was some other way we could do this. I know what that child means to you. I mean, I can see it when she comes through the line. She wasn't looking at me. She reached in the bag and pulled out a half dozen slices and jammed the spatula down into the tub for more peanut butter. And I know we never talk about it, I said, but if it helps at all for me to say it, I think I know how you feel. She turned to me, her eyes full of glass shards. How dare you say that, she said. That was pointless for me to argue, so I let it go, and both of us kept on spreading. Martha finished up at the tables and, and came up to the window, wondering if she ought to start slicing up cheese for tomorrow's lasagna. When I told her to check the napkin holders, she knew something sticky was coming between us. It hurts me to have to say this, I told Verona. But Kelly's always been her own person, and I long ago gave up trying to fight her. Maybe she's got a point here, too. She says it's got to stop your presence. I didn't know whether or not the woman was even tuned in to what I was saying. Are you listening to me? I said. She never moved. 
Well, you're going to hear me because I'm the one who's got to say it. I was shaking myself, I'll have you know, maybe even a little angry because Verona just couldn't be civil. Kelly says, you've got to stop sending presents because Mandy's going to wonder where they're coming from. And that's what I'm supposed to say. And you know it's true. You've watched her grow. Verona's eyes stared down at the bread. She turned hard as the countertop. She's right, Verona. Mandy's no baby, but she doesn't have to know the whole story. Not yet. You know that, too. She's too young. Miss Brigston from the second grade came through the door, all smiles. It's five minutes early, I know, she said, but I figured you might not mind if I brought the kids down a little early. They're so excited. Did you see the beautiful snow? I hadn't even looked outside since seven. That was Monday, a week ago, and Verona didn't say a word to me in all those days together. Everybody in this kitchen knows we aren't speaking, and they know why, too even though I never told a soul and never did. And neither did she. After all, we're all grandmas here. It's not easy living in silence. You go about day to day and even laugh and joke with the others. But the whole Mandy business, and she's such a sweetheart herself, sits in your craw. It hovers over everything, every minute on the job, every last minute. But I wasn't about to break the silence because it wasn't my problem. Maybe that's pig-headed of me. I don't know. On Saturday, Kelly was back at my house with a big box in her hand. Mad. I took the jumper, she said. But I'm not taking this Christmas or no Christmas. She flung the box over to the couch where it slipped off the pillows and fell to the floor. It's got to stop. I told you to tell her, Mom. I told you. Kelly gets angry, her face sets almost like Verona's. She tries to mask her anger as if it's only determination. Well, what is it? I said. Well, she must have paid a fortune for it. Look! I put down my coffee, walked over to the couch, picked the box off the floor. Why don't you stay a while? I said to her. But when she turned around and walked right out, she left the door wide open. What was in the box was a magenta ski jacket with corduroy trim and a snap-off hood, nylon, light as a feather, plus a matching hat and a mitten set. It was tucked into the hood. Price tags were all neatly cut. Now they were both mad, I thought. Kelly showed up at the door again with another box. She sat down on the step. Take the whole mess, she said. I've had it. You talked to her, didn't you? I mentioned it. Well, then nothing's worked. She's pushed me too far. I didn't want to do it this way. I tried to avoid it, Mom. You know I did. But she's driven us to now. She has. It's her fault. What happens? What's in there? I said, pointing to the other box. She gave the box a little kick. Matching boots and a bib pants. She doesn't even need it. We just got her the whole outfit ourselves in November. I hadn't seen her so angry since she was 13 when I told her 11 o'clock was late enough, county fair or no county fair. She spit then too. She spit quite a bit in her ears. Let me try once more, I said. You just hold your horses a while longer. You don't want to be Scrooge. Let me try again. 
Sometimes I think if Kelly would just cry, I'd feel less scared about her myself. All right, she said, but once Christmas is past, it's got to stop. Mad as a wet end. Don't you forget who she is, I told her. Don't ever forget. You're her grandma, Mom, she said. I won't hear it. Well, then you won't hear the facts of life, I told her. All she came for was to yell about the presents, that's all. See you tomorrow at church, she says. And then she leaves again, just like that. I'd do anything for that girl, I swear. But she can grieve me no end and always could. There I sat on the floor with my coffee up on a table, that cute little jacket all in a bundle, half out of the box. I picked it up and held it by the shoulders and I flipped the hood back. It was pretty, so little girlish. I couldn't help thinking that Verona must have held it up before her eyes the same way. She must have pulled it out of the box it was shipped in just to hold it in her hands, to feel it, let the whole sweet outfit inflate with Mandy's imagined body. I got to my feet, kept hold of her jacket, and, and kicked the other box over to the coffee table beside me, the one Kelly had thrown. And then I sat on the edge of the couch, and I opened it up, and I shoved my hand up into one of the boots, probably the same thing Verona did, imagining Mandy's feet warm inside against January cold. And the hat was cable-knit, thick stripes with a thick tassel. I put my hands into the mittens, and that's when I found this little brown bag. I opened it up, and a smaller bag fell out, a tiny plastic bag holding the thinnest gold necklace. Oh, Verona just couldn't help herself, I thought. Even if she tried, even if her conscience told her that what I'd said was gospel truth, she just kept on going because she couldn't stop. Given those presents was all she could do for her for eight years. I could just see her paging through J.C. Penney's this, oh, this, oh, this, and oh, yes, this too. She probably already had the whole outfit when I had spoken to her a week ago. She probably took it all out that afternoon and laid it on the dining room table, the whole outfit, jacket over pants, hat tucked into the hood, mittens snuggled up into the cuffs on either hand, boots down at the bottom, and then she probably laid that gold necklace beneath the collar. She probably had it all in her closet since October, two weeks after winter catalog first started showing up in her mailbox. I know Verona. Well, it was my turn to host the girls for our Christmas party this year. It's one of those things you enjoy only when it's going on, not when it's ahead of you. Years ago, it would have kept me awake nights. I wondered what to serve and how to be sure everybody has a good time. But I don't care so much anymore. And now that I don't, I wish I hadn't got myself thick with nerves for so many years. I made some chocolate pretzels and some blitzes and spread frosting over a host of Christmas cookies. I made a batch of sea foam and even a couple dozen gumdrops. And the whole time, I tell you, I ate way too much, way too much. I bet I spent $20 on Chex Mix since my own kids eat it by the pound whenever they come over during Christmas because I'm the only one who makes it with real mixed nuts. 
I took out the pine cone wreath from the closet and an old Christmas tablecloth Ted claimed he didn't even remember. The only thing new for the party was a pair of Christmas CDs Ted picked out himself only because he couldn't resist buying himself a new toy this year. That new CD player, the tape deck he bought years ago, still plays very well, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, boys will be boys. It was Martha's idea to sing. Usually the girls each bring a $5 present, and we throw them in a pile in the middle of the room, pick a number, and everyone gets to choose or trade. After that, it's cards. Martha said this year we ought to sing a little for a change since everybody likes to sing anyway. Why don't you get Mandy over to play for us, she says. Didn't you say she was already playing carols? Now, Martha plays ragtime like Al Jolson, by ear too yet. If she wanted sing so badly she could have played every last carol herself there was something up her sleeve but i played the game i asked mandy to come over around 7 30 or so it was a school night after all and play those carols she'd been practicing so all the cooks could sing along by then i figured we'd have the sandwiches served and we'd have gone through the whole presence thing sometimes amazes me what we can do to each other we all had a good time that night, even though Verona never said a word to me. I didn't try to pry her loose because I think she's got a right to what she feels. We all joked with each other. We all had a good time. But the two of us never said a word. And bless my Kelly's soul. I can get so angry at that girl. But then she just comes through and does something just like an angel. When Mandy came in that night, she was wearing Verona's black jumper, the whole outfit, even the yellow belt. The girl took off her jacket and every one of the girls were just stunned. But she is a beautiful child. I know I'm not trusted being her grandmother, but I got 12 and that makes me somewhat objective. My Kelly's hair is dark and straight and cut short like that famous ice skater's. What hair Reg has left is thin and red. Jeff has his mother's hair, blonde as a beach sand and, and very thick, and so does Mandy. She wore it up that night in a single braid. And we sang. We could have done a whole lot better with Martha at the piano, but grandmas don't really care all that much about their kids fumbling. Mandy brought along her own book, A Starter, so the melodies of the old favorite, Silent Night, Little Town of Bethlehem, Come All You Faithful, the only six she knew came out in one-finger jabs. And all of us, even Mandy, sat around the table afterwards eating candy like none of us should. Twenty minutes, maybe, we sat there when Martha said she had to leave. But we haven't even played cards yet, I told her. But she got up from the table and went to the closet herself for her coat. I got big things to do, she said. Tomorrow's Christmas dinner. It's the biggest meal of the year at school. But you just stay on here and have a good time, okay? Don't mind me. See, they all had it arranged, the girl said. One by one, they left. Ann had a brother over from Texas. Millie was worried about getting her call from her son in the service. They had it all arranged so that the three of us were left, Verona and Mandy and me. That was the plan. I finally figured it out. Well, I suppose I ought to be going myself, Verona said, once Millie was up and at the door. Oh, you stay a while, I told her. It's still early. Those are the first words I spoke to her in a whole week. Mandy, I said, I bet Verona would like to hear those carols again.
Why don't you go over and play them, you two together? I got to do a little cleaning up here, or Grandpa will have a fit. I winked at my friend Verona, and she didn't have to say a word because what was in her was written over her face like it always is. She looked like a child again, with a face full of Christmas wonder. It was all Martha's idea. I just played along. I took my time cleaning up because what I saw on the piano, the way Verona touched her for the very first time in her life and then hugged her when she'd made a, a little mistake somewhere was just about the best gift I could ever have imagined. I love Mandy, maybe more than some of the other kids, the older ones sometimes, but I got this great big joy in me from giving her to Verona that night. It was Christmas joy. Giving being the blessing it is. And that's something a human being never stops learning either, I'll tell you. I let him go for a long time. Picked up all the food, did some of the dishes, even dumped the garbage. And then I got out the present. I'd wrapped it up complete with a bow, and I told Mandy I was giving it to her for playing for us, for all the carols, for being our accompanist. But it wasn't her eyes that I watched when her fingers fumbled with the paper. When Verona saw the necklace she'd bought herself, I put my hand on her shoulder to shush her up because I wanted her to look at me right then at that very moment to see my eyes so that once she saw my tears, she'd know she didn't have to cry. <gasps> it's beautiful, Grandma, Mandy said. I love it. It's gorgeous. She lifted it out of the little box with her fingers and let it dangle. I want to wear it, she said. And then she turned to Verona without even thinking, help me put it on. And that moment, was Verona's whole Christmas, let me tell you. Nothing else, no present, could possibly come close. I can't tell you what I felt. I shooed Mandy out of the door at 8.30, which was already a half hour too late. But her mother never once minded time in her whole life, so she's not one to complain. And that left Verona and me. She didn't say a thing. Her lips were shaken and her eyes were glazed. She hunched her shoulders as if there really were nothing at all to say. And then she walked to the vestibule and pulled out her coat. Thanks for coming, I said. Then she reached over and kissed me, hugged me too. I wonder how long it had been since she'd done that to anyone. She had her hand on the knob when I remembered the jacket and the boots and the whole winter outfit. I could have let her go too in the charm of that party and the blaze of joy in her eyes. But I know there's more to life than Christmas candy. And I figured if my Kelly could dress Mandy up for her ghost grandma that night, then Verona could learn a bit to bend herself. I got some stuff here that belongs to you, I said. I think you better take it along. I had it in a couple of shopping bags on the floor of the vestibule. She had no idea what it was. I know she did. She was still in a dream. She looked at me strangely, then reached down to slip open a box. And I don't think I can really describe exactly what happened right then to my friend's face. Maybe the best way to say it was that it moved from heaven back to earth, not to hell. She took this deep breath as if the whole time on that piano bench, she hadn't even taken a minute for air. And then she bit her bottom lip and she smiled. I know very well it wasn't easy for her to say anything. It's something how easy it is to take things back nowadays, she said. It's so simple, don't you think? 
Wasn't always that way, I told her. Sure wasn't, she said. She looked up at me almost as if she didn't want to leave, but she did. It's Christmas dinner at school tomorrow, after all. When she was out the door, I pulled out what was left of the chocolate-coated pretzels, and I ate all of them, every last one. Not once did I feel guilty either. I ate the whole works. It's no holiday at all. If you got to watch yourself every last minute. What's a holiday for, I figure? Joy. That's what it is. Isn't that a great story? Well, that piece was taken from Jim's book, Finding Christmas. Stories of startling joy and perfect peace. Jim also has a blog with some great essays. It's titled Stuff in the Basement. To celebrate the holidays, the run of our offices will be closed this week, so there won't be a new podcast next week. But we're planning some interesting things with the podcast after the new year. So 2018 marks the 40th anniversary of a book very important to us at Renovare, Celebration of Discipline. To help mark this occasion, each month this year, I'll devote two podcasts to working with a specific discipline. 12 months, 12 disciplines. So if you're someone who finds New Year's commitments helpful, you might consider joining us in this rhythm and each month spend some time intentionally practicing a different discipline. Hey, thanks for listening. Have a great Christmas, and I'll see you next year.